What a day, what a day, what a day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of EQ Book Club. If you have listened to the first episode, you know my story. Growing up, I had an extremely low level of emotional intelligence, and in fact, I suppressed my emotions so deeply that at times I truly believed at some level that I did not have emotions at all. I always thought if I had emotions, I wouldn't allow myself to hurt other people. Eventually, I started to understand that I did in fact have emotions, and not only that, but I had a lot of them that had built up and found a way to play out in my life in ways that were not so positive and didn't serve me or the people around me. If you relate to that, know I am here for you and you can reach out anytime. I have studied emotional intelligence and related factors very deeply over the last many years since I chose to start being better for myself and those around me. In this study, I was lucky enough to learn from many emotionally and intellectually intelligent humans. And today I get to share one of those humans with you. He actually teaches emotional intelligence and my favorite topic, systems thinking at the master's degree level. Professor Mike Lindsay, thank you for joining me today. Great to be here with you, Ryan. Thank you. And thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. I am truly excited to share uh, your knowledge and your experience with the listeners. Uh, so, Mike, I have been doing this podcast for a couple of months now, but I haven't necessarily given a true rundown of what emotional intelligence is and how it works. Before we do that, though, I would love to hear your emotional intelligence journey and what brought you to uh, having this high level of understanding about it and systems thinking and teaching both of those topics at a collegiate level. Now, that's a long, probably a question to answer, but I'll give you a, a short version of it. How's that? Sure. So, whatever uh, you need. I, I worked for uh, over 30 years at Procter & Gamble and also with uh, Kellogg's. Mm. And uh, one of the things that was interesting about P&G, um, it's got a great reputation of developing leaders. And one of the keys to leadership development is developing people, obviously, mm-hmm. and then trying to assess the potential of people. So when you have 10 people in a room, you know, one of those might have the potential to be CEO. Well, how do you know that when they're, you know, day one on the job? Of course. And uh, so um, as a company that develops from within, it's really critical to both assess people coming into the company and then as they're going through their careers about what their long-term potential is. And it winds up that emotional intelligence is one of the great predictors of leadership success. And uh, so how I got into it, basically, um, we had internal ways of developing talent and assessing talent. And then uh, Daniel Goleman um, wrote this book uh, called Emotional Intelligence. And several of us in the company had read uh, a Harvard Business Review article about this Mm. and really got into it. Uh, We talked with Goleman and uh, used that um, theory of emotional intelligence as an additional Kind of assessment look at how we assess leadership and their potential. So, uh, so that's really how I first got exposed to it was Goleman, and then uh, you know we used that and some of the theories and, and internal skills as well to help assess leadership. And I I just glommed onto it personally because it was a way of articulating things that I could actually work on. Mm. 
Um, a lot of what people think about emotional intelligence, well, you're born with it or you're not born with it. And that is, in fact, not true. Oh, yes, um, it is not true. <laughs> <laughs> so the, you might have some innate skills that you know, might be you know, better than others, but you certainly can develop in this area. And that, for me, was a really powerful piece as a coach myself uh, to help coach leadership and my peers and people who work for me to become better at, if they wanted to. Very cool. So that's how I got into it. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing your story. So let's talk the basics of emotional intelligence. Uh, if any of my listeners were watching The Bachelorette back in December, they heard a lot of ironic statements about the four components of emotional intelligence without much context as to what they truly mean. It scares so, me right there. Yeah. <laughs> so what are the four components and why is each pillar and EI important as a whole. Okay, well, let's uh, let's go back to that to the why for a second. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why why do you care about it to begin with? So, as I mentioned, the you know the assessing potential is part of the rationale with that. But if you think uh, whether you're a leader in an organization, whether you're just working in an organization, whether you're just interacting with people in your social network, mm -hmm. um, you can think of kind of <clears throat> leadership as Performance and potential. Sure. Okay. So when you look at somebody doing a job well, uh, you can look at basically, are they, you know, keep it simple. Are they delivering the results that they need? Um, and are they doing it in a way that develops other people? So for me, um, as a person that cares a lot about not just emotional intelligence, but the success of people, mm -hmm. um, I look and assess people. Do they help others and do they deliver what we need? So, uh, so that's the, you know, the performance section of leadership. When you talk about the potential, um, what we've learned over time, there's, you know, emotional intelligence is one of the key predictors of potential. So it's a really important attribute. And we'll talk about what's in there in a second. Um, but there's two other aspects that I think are also important. One is, um, are you able to learn? Mm. So uh, people call these different things, learning agility, strategic thinking, even systems thinking. Um, those are very important skill sets. But, you know, whether you're a good strategist or not is really more important. Can you learn from what's going on with your strategy, with your experiences, with what is working out in the world, what you see as an opportunity out there? Absolutely. So that learning agility piece tied with emotional intelligence really creates a very powerful tool. If you add a third leg to that with personal drive, mm -hmm. so are you driven to be successful? You probably have the opportunity to go to very high levels in an organization or be a very effective person, whether it's a, um, whether it's a company, an NGO, a government organization, or a um, self-employed person like a, a coach. Mm -hmm. So those three things together, emotional intelligence, learning agility with strategic thinking as part of that. And then that drive for success, that drive to accomplish, that drive for results. Um, that those are the three things I put together for that. So let's look at you know look, looking at the four pillars. I think that's even uh, more important. Now, Goldman, um, when he first wrote the book, actually had kind of five areas interesting um, with it. But let's let's keep it simple to the two kind of big picture pieces. Right. <clears throat> the first one is the stuff that's personally competent. So personal competence could be split up into two areas. Am I self-aware and can I control myself? Self-management would be mm -hmm. the articulation there. Then the other 
kind of half of that emotional intelligence piece is more about our focus on other people. So uh, social competence, if you will. And that is, can we manage relationships with people? And are we socially aware? And the social awareness piece is where empathy could really be very powerful into. And Goldman thought empathy was so important that it was like a, kind of a fifth um, module, if you will, of emotional intelligence. Mm. And that in his later works, um, when he got into social competence and did some more research on actual brain functions with emotional intelligence, that's when he came up with this learning agility as a third leg. So you focus on others, you focus on yourself, and then you can focus on kind of outer. So way out there, what's going on in society? What's going on with your entire company if you're running a company, for example? So uh, so that would be the learning agility piece. And that's what I would call more the strategic um, ability to go after things. Sure. So those are those are the key legs. So social competence, personal competence, and then focusing on outer would be the, the whole model, if you will. Got it. Thank you for explaining that. Um, how might we actively increase, you know, maybe not each of these components, but if you want to get into it, we'd love to hear it. But how can we actively increase our EQ generally? Um, EQ is a little bit different than IQ. So uh, most theorists would say that IQ you're pretty much born with, and uh, there's not much you can do about your own um, IQ. So you, you got, you've got some levels with that. The good news is with EQ or EI, depending upon what acronym you want to use, emotional intelligence, you can affect it. So that's really good news. Absolutely. Um, the bad news is it's not easy. No, no, it is not. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of born with our brains. We're born with our smarts, if you will, on the emotional, on the in, intelligence side. Mm-hmm. Um, but we can affect, you know, the ways that our brain learns and how we react with other piece, people. But that takes learning. And it sounds like in your own personal journey, you found that yourself. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, so that's definitely an issue that you can you, know, you can actually affect that change with. So, um, give you an example. So, uh, let's say that um, I wanted, let's say I have a little short temper. Okay. Okay. And so when s- something happens to me, I'm a little bit of a hothead. I just react and I lash out at people. I blame other people. You know, that's like my normal way of responding or reacting to a situation. Sure. Okay. So um, there's a model that I like, and I I used it with you before, which was, you know, it's called red train, blue train was the original theory. But the idea is we all have a choice in every interaction. Mm -hmm. You can either react to the situation or you can respond to the situation. Mm And, uh, and it's a big difference. They both, both are our words, but reaction is like your, you know, your emotions kick in, you know, I'm not going to take that from somebody. I'm going to go right after them. Right. And it's a reaction. Uh, response is saying, Hey, I'm going to take a second and find out what's going on inside of me when I hear that and how best to handle the situation with a person that's causing that desire for me to react. So sometimes this is in in milliseconds, okay, in terms of how quickly our brain's responding. Right. But uh, sometimes um, if you just take a deep breath and use that time wisely to think about, okay, you know, what what am I seeing? Uh, What's the appropriate response here? 
Or maybe I don't want to respond at all at this point. Maybe I want to listen more. Maybe I want to ask questions more. Oh, maybe I want to take a before I you know react. I want to take a little drink of coffee here. <laughs> hmm, and think what I want to say next. So um, it's taking those few seconds to pick a response versus blurting out a reaction. And so that's an example of a technique, a learning technique that you can use to help improve your emotional intelligence. It goes right at picking up those empathy skills because I can think mm -hmm. about what's going on with that person, how they're responding maybe to my nonverbal communications, like my facial expression when I go, eh. <laughs> um, or, you know, or I can just, you know, you know, smile and, you know, try to listen more. Or what I really love about um, really people that are good about emotional intelligence, they're great at asking questions. Absolutely. And, and they will ask questions to understand before they decide to share their own opinion. Mm -hmm. So very, very good skill. So get, um, so that's just an example of things that you can do to concentrate on to help improve that intelligence. And then improves the social competence side as well as you know, your personal competence side. So are you self-aware that you know you're going to blurt out something and then choose not to do it? So that's that's a real test of both the self-management skills as well as the self-awareness skills. And I, I will say it gets significantly easier the more that you do it, the more that you build these skills. Uh, you, as you said, it happens in milliseconds often, those reactions, right? Um, but once you have built these skills, those responses become the things that happen in milliseconds instead of the reactions. Uh, so just like being able to ask those questions and more importantly, be able to pause and decide that you need to ask those questions, choose that you need to learn more about the situation or yourself and your own reactions before you respond. Uh, it gets a lot easier and it happens in that, that millisecond process. That's, that's exactly right, Ryan. We always have a choice in how we're going to re respond to any situation. And uh, and I strongly believe in that. It's almost a philosophical approach to, to life. That it truly is. You me choose and... whatever you you know whatever happens to you. Now I, I wouldn't go to that far of extreme. There are there's an Eastern philosophy that says that. But uh, from a reality viewpoint, you always have a choice in terms of how you're going to respond to a situation. And so uh, so think response versus react. That would be an example. Now, the, the other piece here that I think, which, as I mentioned before, emotional intelligence is wonderful because you can work on it. Um, there's all kinds of things you can do in any one of these areas to go after. But for me, the easiest um, has been to look for somebody who's really good at it. So if, <laughs> it, so if I'm, you know, you know, working on um, you know, someone that is really, really good at, you know, social networking, for example. And that's not one of my strong suits. Um, then I could identify that person and say, "Hey, would you mind showing, you know, explaining wh why you do what you're doing and how you're doing it? Would you mind being a mentor for me in this area or a coach for me in this area?" And my experience has been, people love that. Oh, absolutely. It, people love to be recognized first of all for something <laughs> that they do well. Nothing wrong with that, right? No. And secondly, most people love to share that. 
Mm-hmm. So they, they recognize, hey, I'm really good at this. And somebody noticed and they'd love to learn from me. And, uh, you know, that's actually developing that social network right there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so it's a really cool thing is to identify people that are good at, at really something that you want to work on. So if you have a, um, a flat spot in your emotional intelligence, you know, you're self-aware, perhaps, <laughs> that you're not very good at that, then find somebody who is. And ask them to be a coach for you in that area. So, uh, an, an example for for me that has worked really well for people that are you know going after that is ask, when you ask somebody, you identify someone that is actually doing that. Tell the people that you're around that you're working on it. Mm-hmm. This that's a biggie Absolutely. because it's one thing to have that one to one relationship with that coach or mentor. It's another thing to tell your peers or your spouse or significant other or that type of thing. You know, I'm really not very good at this. And I, I, I apologize for maybe some of the bad things that have occurred because of this, but I really, really want to work on it. And I'd like you to hold me accountable to that and to give me feedback on how I'm doing. We love accountability over here. Yeah. So, so, you know, the feedback piece of that, um, if I have people working for me and I say, you know, one of the things, you know, I'm not really good at providing timely feedback. So I, I like to wait for the quarterly reviews or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm trying to do more in the moment feedback and I'd like to get more of it myself. So it's a two way street. Well, that opens up all kinds of things. Now people are, they'll test you on it, of course, to see if you really will take the feedback. <laughs> but if you are open to it, you say, wow, yes, I really did do that in that meeting. That was not what I wanted to do. Thank you for letting me know. And those and, are the kind uh, of uh, friends boy. and colleagues we need. Uh, exactly. They're the ones that are going to actually test us on it. Right. And, uh, but, you know, th- that testing will always depend upon your reaction. And so they react versus respond. Mm-hmm. So when somebody, so if you're going to ask for feedback, then make sure you welcome it. Yeah, make sure you're ready to engage with that feedback appropriately. Yeah. So otherwise, uh, you know, if you say, re- re- oh, no, I didn't do that. Well, that's the last time you're going to hear about that. <laughs> so, uh, so, so that's another technique in terms of improving your your own emotional intelligence is actually that accountability piece. So going, asking people to say, um, give me feedback when you see I'm not doing this or when I am doing this, whatever action that you're, you're focusing on. So a couple ideas there. Thank you. I got a question from a listener recently uh, in the context of emotional intelligence. I asked, you know, what would they like to learn a little bit more about? And the response was rejection I shifted that. I, th- I think it does play into emotional intelligence. I've shifted that mm-hmm. into resilience, I think is more an appropriate uh, word in the context of emotional intelligence. So tell us a little bit about what resilience is and how EI is related to it and how, how it can help build that. I think we've already talked about it a little bit here. Yeah, but, but in general, my... My simple definition of resilience would be um, multiple layers of handling issues. Mm. So um, back to the react versus respond, I don't want to overplay that one, but resilience is the ability to be able to handle lots of different things, perhaps that are unpredictable and still have an acceptable response. Mm. So, um, so as you think about resilience, it's, you know, 
layer, you know, you could do the military analogy of resilience where you have layers of, of defense. So if a missile is coming at you, you might have a um, long range approach and you might have a short range approach to try to shoot down that missile before it hits. On a human basis, it's the same thing. So if things are coming at you lots of different ways and, and maybe, you know, heavy, how, are, what, how well are you able to cope with all those things happening simultaneously at you or multiple things? So certainly under COVID times, for example, we're, uh, uh, you know, we're really testing a resilience. Mm-hmm able to handle all the complexities of changing work, changing our learning approaches, changing how we um, spend time with our family, with our friends, with coworkers, totally transforming that almost instantaneously. So resilience as a globe is really being challenged as a result of all these things coming at us. So that, that would be um, you know, a way that I would think or define resilience. Now, how do, how do you improve it? Uh, again, Part, all this is part of the emotional intelligence piece, but it's also uh, taking some time to reflect. Mm-hmm. So what is going on? Why are you feeling the way you are feeling? And then what do I want to do about it? So what am I learning from that feeling? What am I learning from that interaction? What am I learning from the situation? And that analysis and self-analysis, self-awareness part of it, allows us to see, you know, how we're doing in that situation. Now, um, for a normal person, that can be a very strong, powerful way of growing. You talked about wisdom, you know, that's part of, you know, wisdom is having all those experiences and realizing life is not going to come to an end just because this happened. Okay. So, uh, so that, that's, that's the good news with that. Um, but there are people that actually have, you know, some, some real mental uh, illness issues. And, you know, emotional intelligence is not going to be able to solve those issues. So, you know, you may need to get professional coaching, professional, professional therapy, uh, maybe even psychotherapy, maybe even medication. Um, if you have, you know, those type of issues and you're really not very resilient to begin with, and you might need to go to an extra professional level of help. But I think um, I wouldn't jump to that for most people. I think probably... of people could do that self-awareness piece of that, the self-learning pieces and getting coaching from people to help um, with situations and to learn from them uh, without needing professional help. I agree. So once we have engaged in this emotional intelligence growth, does it fade or, or how do, how do we keep it around? That's That's a great question. I mean, it's, it's always a, like any skill, um, if you if you practice it a lot, you'll get better at it. If you don't use it a lot, it's gonna you know go flat. Mm. Um, <clears throat> one one of the interesting pieces that uh, I can't remember the researcher that had this with was talking that emotional intelligence actually gets better with age. Interesting. Yeah, that was an interesting. Yeah, it was an interesting thing. You wouldn't necessarily. Yeah, I, I could see it getting better with practice, mm-hmm. but not necessarily age. And part of it is because the way your your brain is learning, the emotional uh, reactions and the limbic portion of your brain, um, where your emotions really are dealt with, c- continues to grow with experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you go into a situation, you get keep on getting beat up because you're not very empathetic. <laughs> Eventually, you start realizing, mm, boy, this is kind of painful, and your brain says, "Let's figure out a different way." And that, that could be the, you know, what we would call wisdom, perhaps, um, starts going up 
And all those experiences start accumulating. That's part of why they think that emotional intelligence actually goes up with age because you're getting those life experiences. That's not to say that um, you know, people can totally ignore that and become even worse with age. I've seen that as well. <laughs> yeah, and it's also not to say that uh, just wait to be older to, to no, start no, figuring this out. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the most emotionally intelligent people I know um, are you know, quite young. It's like, where did they get to be so smart? Where did they get to be so wise, you know? So those are great, great people to put in your coaching pool. Absolutely. Um, let's shift slightly. I, I think it'll circle back around, but let's shift slightly to one of my favorite subjects that you also happen to teach, which is systems and systems thinking. So what are systems and what am I talking about when I say systems thinking? Uh, great. This is a great one. And it's one that is not um, taught a lot mm-hmm. nor understood a lot. Um, Agreed. Now I'm actually, my undergrad is in mechanical engineering. Mm. And uh, so I'm an engineer, if you will, in training. And I I went right into kind of management um, after I graduated, but I still got that real scientific approach um, to looking at problems. And uh, systems thinking you will learn as an engineer like right off the bat. I mean, Mm -hmm. almost everything we see in sciences are different types of systems, small, large, reinforcing, non-reinforcing. So so systems are basically nothing more than looking at how things interact. And one of the most interesting things in nature is the fact that we're surrounded by systems. It's amazing. It's it's mind-boggling when you see the universe as a system. Really, like when you are walking, like, you know, when I'm walking down the street, I'm looking at a tree and I'm discovering the system. I'm looking at my dog and my interactions with my dog and there's a system. I'm thinking about the way that I'm thinking to myself, uh, metacognition, and that in itself is a system. Exactly, exactly. So so these systems occur everywhere. And once you, you know, kind of put your eyes up, open and, and look around, you see all these connections that a lot of people don't often see until they really think about them or study them. Mm-hmm. And it winds up, there's a lot of different patterns and systems that repeat and repeat and repeat. And uh, the patterns aren't just in the physical nature of the world, but also in um, human beings. So these patterns repeat all the time. So historians have p- figured that out quite a bit. Economists have figured that out quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so psychiatrists have figured that out quite a bit. So all, the, all these systems start, you know, there, there are names that we put to them, but you can start seeing these re- repeat. Uh, the, I would you know, kind of lay out a real example of a system as a mechanical engineer, thermodynamics, uh, entropy, all that kind of stuff. But um, think, think of something that would be very simple, like, like a thermostat. So when, I, when I'm cold, I turn the thermostat up to create more heat. Uh, the thermostat controls my heating system and turns the, the gas or electricity on and it gets warmer. As soon as it gets to that set point, it shuts off. So that's a very simple example of a, um, of a system. So it's a therm- thermodynamic control. That's my dog. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, but uh, so, so that's, that's a mechanical system. Mm-hmm. You think about people systems. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing things that occur all the time on a regular basis. And these are things like feedback loops. Mm-hmm. So um, 
you can see these occurring with different archetypes of systems. But another simple one would be a feedback loop where you say um, a person goes into a meeting, shares a bunch of information, people react or jump out of that to make some actions, and that action forces a result, and the result forces that meeting to either say we worked or we or the solution worked or it didn't. So very simple, you know, go in, understand the problem, create a solution, see if the solution works. If it doesn't, then go in and try to fix another issue. Mm-hmm. Now, <clears throat> with real systems thinking, what we're looking at are what are root causes of the problem. So, so many people spend a lot of time working on symptoms without going into that root cause. Mm-hmm. And so real systems thinking is looking really deep. What's the fundamental driver for the result that we're seeing? So, you know, what's actually controlling the heat in my thermostat? Okay, If, if I'm not getting heat, maybe there, my root cause is, you know, the gas is out of my furnace. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I keep on moving the dial and nothing happens. Okay. So the same thing can occur with people systems. So let's say I'm a politician and I'm trying to improve the economy and I try a solution like giving money away to everybody and the economy doesn't improve. Well, how, you know, why does, why is that not true? So you have to look at, you know, what are the root control points of that system that are forcing human behavior to Re- respond differently than what you think it's going to do. So, uh, so understanding root cause is the fundamental, most important thing of systems thinking and looking for what those root causes are and then coming up with solutions that affect the problem, not the symptom. Absolutely. Does it does. And, and we see this a lot in our internal experiences, whether it is in relationships with ourselves or our significant other, or our family, or um, even money and work. For sure, money, um, yes. How we relate to these things. Relationships are essentially systems, and uh, if we are always treating the symptoms, then we're never really gonna get to the root cause and, and really fix the things that we need to fix to have longevity in these relationships. Uh, very true. And sometimes we are self-destructive in our ability to be able to manage that. So, uh, you know, that's where emotional intelligence and systems thinking come together. Mm-hmm. So um, it is a self-reinforcing mechanism that if you, you know, keep on, you know, trying one thing, it's just not, not working anymore. If you're not self-aware enough to see that, then you're never going to be able to get to that root cause. So, so it's clearly related. You have to have some basic ability to be able to uh, be self-aware, self-manage, understand relationships. And if you're weak in those areas to start building those up. Um, and then the systems thinking piece is, I think, tied with it, but it doesn't have to be one or the other. Sure. You can be a really good systems thinker and not be emotionally intelligent, by the way. Right. <laughs> so th- think of the of the uh, the paradigm of the scientist that is just, you know, discovering all these, you know, understandings of how, you know, quantum theory works, but couldn't hold a conversation with, you know, the person next door. Sure. So, uh, you know, that may not be fair, but those people do exist. <laughs> right. 
<laughs> and the other way around. And the other way around. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, absolutely. Um, so, you know, we all, we, we're born with our brains, you know, but the nice thing is we can, we can continue to develop them. Um, used to be we thought that brains stopped growing mm-hmm. uh, or developing at age 25 because mm-hmm. that's when the brain itself stops growing and that, you know, you couldn't do anything more. You're stuck with what you have. But we know that's not true anymore. It is not. Um, you can continue to develop quite extensively. And even we've shown this with people that have lost parts of their brain, mm-hmm. that the brain is so resolute to go back to that. That, uh, that it can grow abilities at a loss that it normally has. So the neocortex can take over for a limbic system that's not working. So uh, it's pretty cool. I mean, we got a pretty pretty powerful little organ there. <laughs> it is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> it is who we, why we are what, who we are. Truly. All right, you've given us a lot of knowledge today. Hopefully a lot of things for the listeners to think about Hope and so. reflect on. So thank you. Uh, let's get into some book recommendations. One ah. to three or more, if you're really feeling it, hit us. Okay, well, um, the first thing I would, re- would recommend is a Harvard Business Review, which is not a book per se, but it's a, <laughs> it's a magazine, and it usually will lead you to lots of great books. Sure, and you can also uh, purchase Harvard Business Review um, books that are a series of articles that they've put together on a specific subject. Like there is an emotional intelligence Harvard Business Review book that's about a hundred or so pages of articles that have been put together strategically to help you understand emotional intelligence. It's actually one of my favorite books I've read about Excellent. emotional intelligence. And and the, and you know they do those series, and you can actually buy training programs and stuff like that as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, so you so that's a, a nice source. And what's kind of nice about it, it goes really deep in subjects, and it will actually improve part of that systemic thinking piece that we talked about as well. Mm-hmm. So most of the authors here are really pretty knowledgeable, and uh, and you can you know really learn a lot deeply in a subject that you may, may not get from you know, just looking at an, a short article in a newspaper, for example. Sure. Which tend not to be um, as extensive. So HBR might lead you to all other kinds of things. And, and they have tons of emotional intelligence. As I said, Goldman um, started in a Harvard Business Review article about leadership mm-hmm. and what drives and how you, how you can choose leadership. So that's really um, what that started with. The other uh, book that I um, wanted to pull out was this one, Emotional Intelligence 2.0. I know you know this one. You may have said this one already. (laughs) What's kind of cool about this one, it goes through those four basic elements of emotional intelligence, but it has a lot of how-tos in here. Yes. So it's very actionable items. Yeah. So say, okay, you know, uh, my relationship management is not very good. Well, it will give you a a bunch of social skill uh, methods that you can experiment with Mm -hmm. to get better at. And it comes with a free little personal test, mm-hmm. which um, if you buy the book, you can take the test and it actually tell you where your emotional intelligence strengths are and where maybe some of your development areas are. Um, so that, that's another one to like. And then the, the last one I have is also Goleman, um, social intelligence. Mm-hmm. And the, the reason I want to bring this one up um, when he was doing the work on social intelligence, he got a a real insight, which has only become worse over time in Mm. our society. And that is the fact that we are all human people that require social interaction. 
So we are trained to be socially interactive. Go back from you know, tribal levels of development of, of human beings and relationships and civilizations, et cetera. We are social. And with technology, we've become less and less social. We're much more dependent upon technology. And so what's nice about this book, it really drives in those differences of what we're losing with technology interfering with social interaction and ways to get that back. Mm. So, uh, so it's not, it's an early analysis of what's been, there's a lot of research been done on, on how bad uh, technology has been, but none of us are going to give it up. <laughs> so let's learn to live with it and adapt to it and not lose the social interaction piece. So I sure. like that one too. Perfect. So a couple ideas for you. Thank you very much. Uh, the listeners, you can find the suggestions and prior episodes recommendations and a list of my five-star favorites at bookshop.org slash shop slash EQ. Please use this link to support the podcast and shop local. Uh, if you feel that you need to increase any or all four of the components of your emotional intelligence or you find yourself struggling... Uh, with the systems we were talking about uh, or in relationships with yourself, with others, or your environment, whether that is your work or a physical space, please reach out anytime to set up a free consultation with me to see if I may be a good partner for you and your growth journey. Uh, otherwise, you can check out my website at tejoscc.com. That's T-E-J-O-S-C-C dot com to find out more about what I do and my values. Uh, please, I beg you, directly share this or your favorite episode with at least one person that you think could benefit from this information or knowing that it exists or has interest in this subject matter. I believe we can all use this information or at least some reminders on a regular basis. Message me on social media on the at EQ Book Club account if you have any feedback. I love to hear it, positive or negative. I appreciate you all so much for being on this journey with me. And finally, if you didn't get here via my social media, follow me at EQ Book Club on everything to get more updates. It's a great day for a day, y'all. I love you. Goodbye. <laughs>